Friends and family, welcome to Convergent Church. Um, you know, I always have to make a comment on the singing, but as, as we were singing together, I was just reminded, um, can, we, can we get a, like, just a, a clap for Dan and Larry? Like, just real quick, like, they pour so much time and effort and passion into this, but like, as, as we were singing together, I was just really thinking about how, you know, regardless of what's going on upstage, and these guys spend so much time just practicing and, and, and honing their craft, the greatest instrument that shows up on, on Sunday mornings is your voices. That's the greatest instrument. And so when we lift our voice to God, it is such a wonderful and pleasing thing to him. And it also bolsters my heart to preach. So, you know, I had to talk about it. But good morning again. Um, my name is Jameson. I'm one of the pastors here at Convergent Church. Um, and this morning, if you're joining us for the first time or maybe you've, you've been uh, out for a couple weeks, uh, we have been walking through uh, the Beatitudes of Jesus in a series that we've called Blessed a journey through the Beatitudes. And, and I want to start somewhere a little bit unconventional this morning, um, but hopefully it makes sense by the end. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Revelation 21, verse 1. Yeah, you know it's going to be, it's going to get deep if we're starting a Revelation, right? So <laughs> um, Revelation 21, 1, we're also going to take a little bit of a look at Revelation 22, a couple verses there. But I'm just going to read... Um, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to your word now. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's look at Revelation 22, 1. Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Get this, guys. Listen up. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That is the beautiful inheritance that Jesus has promised us. And I want to start there because I need you guys to see a picture of where all of this is going, where Convergent Church is going, where your salvation is going, where, where Christianity is going. That's the goal. Now, let's reset our minds to the scene of the Beatitudes. On a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee sits Jesus, the Lord of Lords, 
the king of kings, the God-man, and his closest disciples, his closest friends at the time, and surrounding them is a small multitude of people. And these people have begun to follow Jesus because of these miraculous things that he's been doing. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons, giving people freedom. He's been giving sight to the blind. He's been causing the lame to walk, allowing the mute to speak allowing the deaf to hear. And, and these people who are surrounding Jesus on this hillside have gotten a taste of what Jesus has come to offer. And now Jesus is instructing them in the kinds of blessed attitudes, beatitudes, these kinds of blessed attitudes, happy attitudes, God-approved attitudes that will lay hold of the true blessing he's come to offer. And so he's going to show them where the roots of true happiness and true blessing lie. At this point in the Beatitudes, Jesus had sort of already turned their world upside down by suggesting that they could be blessed or they could be happy when they realized that they were in deep need of what only God could offer, that they were literally beggars at the throne of God in need of mercy and provision. He said that they would be happy, they would be blessed when they mourn over the state of their fallen nature. When they see the reality of sin in their lives, because God says that when we see that, then we will receive comfort and consolation, the comfort and consolation that only God can provide. Jesus is challenging the way these people live their lives and the paradigm through which they see the world. You know, recently, uh, well, only one's here, but I challenged my two older boys to a challenge. Uh, we'd been giving them sort of a weekly allowance for the chores and various responsibilities and things they had to do around the house, as well as their grades uh, and, of course, their attitudes. We told them, look, you can do everything right. You can, you can knock out the entire list, but if your attitude sucks, I'm not giving you a dime. And how many times did you not get your allowance, buddy? <laughs> He's like, oh, there's a couple times, right? There was a couple times where they just had a poor attitude. And they didn't get anything because they had a terrible attitude about the work that they were called to or the reward that they stood to gain for that work or simply something going on in their lives. And I noticed that my boys, they were really good at two things. They're, they're amazing at a lot of things, but as far as allowance goes, they were good at two things. They were good at receiving my money and they were good at spending my money. <laughs> they were really good at those things. Almost any time they got their allowance, the first question out of their mouth was what? Can we go to the store, right? Just got a fresh $5 bill. Can we go to the store? They wanted to immediately spend what they have. And, and as a father, I wanted them to understand how to harness more than just, you know, a $5 here or $5 there and to save up for something that was a far greater reward. And so I challenged them. I said, look, guys, if you can save $100, I will give you 50 bucks. Like, just save 100 I will give you 50 bucks. Like, like, you're not going to find a better interest return than that at any bank, right? I was like, just save $100. And they were awesome. You know, they saved their money diligently. And I think they got, both of them got up to a little bit over $50. And then one day they just caved. They caved and they spent all of their money. Um, I think Zay bought an RC car. Thank you, sweetheart. She loves me. She's awesome. But I think Xavier bought an RC car and some other things, maybe some Pokemon cards, but they caved. And they're now in the process of starting again. Can anybody praise God for second chances, right? But my goal as their father was to teach them to have self-control. 
self-control with the purchasing power that they were given, and to show them if they could harness their purchasing power, if they could channel it into the right direction with the right attitude, they could receive a much greater reward. They could save up for something that was of much greater value. And so our gospel question for today is this, for what do you harness the power given you? How do you channel the potential that God has given you? If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, as we read the message of our master, savior, and friend Jesus. In Matthew 5, verse 5, he says this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, for many of us, when we hear that word meek, each of us has a definition and a connotation, an idea of what these words mean, but the Bible has a definition for what that word meek means, and and that's ultimately what we want as Christians. We want what God displays throughout the totality of his word of what meekness is, not simply what we believe it is. So I want to tease out a definition out of God's word for what meekness is and ask the question, what is meekness? What does it mean to be meek? That term meekness is praeus in the Greek, and it's rendered in almost every major Bible translation as the word gentleness, mildness of spirit, humility. And I think the best way to answer that question, what is meekness, is actually to start by answering the question, uh, what is meekness not? What is meekness not? And I'm going to do that by looking at two pictures of meekness in the Bible. We're going to work from the lesser to the greater. We're going to look at the characters of Moses and Jesus. Now, Numbers 12, 13, you don't have to turn there, but this is a quote. It says this, now the man Moses was very meek more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now, for those of you who know your Bible, who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. Now, so I don't know if I trust the guy who's like, look, there ain't nobody meeker than me, right? He's like, on the whole face of the earth, I'm the meekest, right? But this is inspired scripture, So I'm going to trust the divine author, and I'm going to believe that Moses was meek. And so I'm asking the question, what was Moses like? What was Moses as a man like? Well, we know that early on in his life, he committed manslaughter. Early on in his life, he killed an Egyptian taskmaster who he saw beating a Hebrew slave. Some of us would say that that might be justified, but that happened in his life. Moses was a fierce protector of his family. He was a fierce protector of God's people. We also know that Moses had trouble speaking. He probably had a speech impediment. His brother Aaron often spoke for him. We know that he was a leader of God's people. He was an organizer. He was a delegator. He was a prophet. He was a champion. He was a general of the armies of God, and he was even a harbinger of death as he confronted Pharaoh And told him about the plagues that were getting ready to come upon him because of his sin. More than once, Moses' word brought a harsh judgment to those whose actions and character and lives were running against the goals of God. In other words, Moses as a man had a spine. Moses had a spine. Moses had God on his side, or rather, Moses was on God's side But he had immense power and influence in the world. And yet the Bible attests that Moses was a meek man. 
Now, the greater example, Jesus said this about his own heart. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That word gentle, speaking of his own heart, is that same word, praeus, meek. Jesus has a meek heart. He's gentle in his inner person. And yet Jesus is not afraid to flip a table when someone tarnishes the name and the glory of his Father. Paul characterized Jesus this way in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. says this, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in, the, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That phrase, in the form of God, means that Jesus was born with the very essence, the very likeness, the very fabric of who God was. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the triune God. And Jesus, as God, had the right and the privilege and the authority and the power to do whatever he pleased at any moment in his life. Many of us know the story in the Garden of Gethsemane of Jesus is getting ready to be arrested and Peter takes up his sword and he cuts off the temple guard's ear. Jesus says this. He looks at Peter and he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will not at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. Jesus is the general of the armies of heaven. Jesus' life was not taken from him. It was laid down. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. Jesus was not weak. Moses was not weak. There was, is, and never will be anyone more powerful than Christ. But hear me. This is important. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not cowering. Meekness is not a refusal to stand for what is right. Meekness is not a refusal to tell the truth or fear of what others may think. Meekness is power, and even in some circumstances, immense power and influence, but under God's control. This is what meekness is in God's word. It's power under control and channeled towards the aim of God's glory and his kingdom. It's a refusal to assert ourselves for ourselves. It's a refusal to glorify ourselves for our own glory. Moses asserted himself all of the time for the glory of God. Jesus asserted himself all of the time for the will and glory of the Father and for the good of the coming kingdom, but neither of them asserted their own power or their own dominance or their own influence or their own right for their own self-interest. Every time they asserted themselves, it was for God's glory and for the good of others. So what is meekness? It is power under control and channeled into serving the goals of God. That is what meekness is. It's having the right 
and the power to do something, but refusing for the good of someone or something else. Having the right and power to do something, but refusing for the good of someone or something else. So why is this important? Why is Jesus sitting on a hillside commending this attitude in his followers? Why does he want them to understand that they are blessed if they choose meekness? Well, it's a simple answer. Meekness displays the character of God. Meekness displays the character of God. I mean, we can think about this. What is the goal of the Beatitudes? What is, what is the goal of these statements? At the end of the day, Jesus wants to make disciples. He wants to make people who look like him and who are furthering the goals of his kingdom. Jesus wants bandmates, not groupies. Jesus wants pupils who have a vested interest in the mission of the master. Jesus wants investors who are willing to invest in his vision, not people who are tagalongs that are willing to make a quick windfall. He's looking towards what I read in the beginning. He's looking towards his name written on every forehead, his likeness on every person, and meekness is important because it supernaturally displays the character of God through sinful human flesh who would otherwise not choose it. My life does not incline towards meekness. My heart inclined towards self-glorification. It inclines towards you believing that Jameson is a great person, that Jameson is a good person, that Jameson is a wise person, that Jameson is a rich person. That's the natural state of my heart. So when I stand before you and say there's no other treasure greater than Jesus, there's no other man greater than Jesus, there's no one more wise, there's no one more powerful, there's no one more beautiful, there's no one more glory that rests upon, that's not me, that's God's power at work in me because my, my life does not naturally incline that way. We do not naturally choose meekness as a way of life. And Jesus is on a hillside with this Jewish audience. And it's an, it's an audience who at this point in history is, is, is angry. They're angry because at this point in history, they're under Roman occupation. Roman occupation was the norm, and, and the Jews, even though they did have a somewhat special status in, in, the, in the Roman system, they nonetheless bowed the knee to the emperor. They were not free to worship God the way they wanted to. They were angry at the religious system they found themselves in. It didn't seem to be working. The religious leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, they took advantage of the weak and the poor to exploit them for their own personal gain, and they paraded around with this false righteousness that masqueraded as holiness. And I believe that Jesus' audience, though they are anticipating something wonderful, I believe these people were also angry at God because they believed that God had not kept his promises. He promised a Messiah that would liberate them from oppression and usher them into freedom. At this point in Jewish history, religious zealots dotted the land and they often would spark violent uprisings against 
the Roman occupation, and even against the religious temple system. Jesus' audience is an angry people who wanted to build their kingdom their way. That's who Jesus is sitting with, an angry people who want to build their kingdom their way. And, they were, and, as, and as a nation, the Jews were displaying anything but the character of God to the nations and the people around them. So what does God do? He comes down. He graciously condescends to a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and he sits with his people. And he says, my friends, you've got it backwards. You've got it backwards. The way up is down. He's saying, show them the power of God inside of you by being long-suffering, patient, self-controlled, humble, deferring your will for the good of God's glory, even in the face of adversity and even in the face of personal injustice. This is pre-cross Jesus. Jesus is is looking ahead to the cross that's going to befall him. He's saying, I want you to look like me. I want your life to testify what I've done. Do you see Jesus' attitude and what he's asking of his people? Jesus, who, who Paul wrote, emptied himself of a desire to promote and please and gratify himself, even though he was in the form of God. It says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Jesus, who did not deserve what came upon him, A sinless God, a perfect God, a merciful God, a loving God who yet accepted what befell him because in his mind he's looking towards something that's greater. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus is looking on a cosmic scale and he's saying, where does this go? Where do my actions today lead tomorrow? My friends, when we choose meekness over antagonism and retribution and vengeance and violence, we testify that inside we know something that the world does not know. We testify that we are not satisfied with earthly vindication or validation. We testify that we do not treasure the material, but the spiritual. We testify that we do not desire or envy the praise or possessions of others, for we are rich in Christ, that we do not live day by day for present rewards, but out of a future promise towards us. We testify that we are willing to build something that does not reflect us, but instead reflects someone who is much greater than us. One who is our great reward. And so let's revisit that question, for what do you harness the power given you? Where are your actions today pointing? Are you the kind of person who, when slighted, seeks to find a surefire way to avenge your dignity and character? Yeah, me too. Are you the kind of person, when someone comes against you with an accusation, 
Your first response is to defend or dismiss or put up your walls or are you able out of coming to know that you are a beggar before the throne of grace and mourning over your sin are you able to see that maybe this person who's saying something about your character just might be a little bit right who when someone in your life is greatly blessed envies what they have me too who when facing adversity throws your hands up in the sky and says, God, why is this happening? I don't deserve this. Christian, I don't have to tell you what you deserve. All true Christians know what they deserve. We deserve eternal separation from God. An everlasting punishment and not in, not in the absence of God's sight, but in eternal separation from his grace. Eternal separation from blessing and happiness and favor. Eternal separation, not from the presence of God, but from his grace. We deserve to live forever in punishment under the divine scrutiny of God's terrible and fearsome gaze. And yet, Christian, praise God, because we don't have that. We don't have that. For all those who trust in Christ, we have unending grace. We have God's favor. We have his mercy. We have his love. We have his blessings. We can be happy for that. And we have it through faith, not even our own works. Through the works of Jesus and what he's done, we have blessing and favor unending, and that is a gift of God. And so, friends, I want you to think about this. In any given situation, you have the power to avenge yourself or defend yourself or build your own reputation. But listen, and I need you to listen to me carefully. One day, your reputation won't matter to anybody. One day, you will be dead. And your children will be dead. And your children's children will be dead. And your great-grandchildren will be done. And your name will mean nothing. My name will mean nothing. But the name of Jesus? That name is the stuff of legend. The name of Jesus is the theme of cosmic history. It's to where all this is pointing. Jesus is saying, if you choose now, today, to exercise self-control, to humble yourself, to see yourself rightly, to not build your own kingdom, but to live so that people see his divine influence in your life, he will give you more than you could ever possibly imagine. Why should we pursue meekness? Because it lays hold of the kingdom of God. Meekness lays hold of the kingdom of God. On that hillside overlooking the town of Galilee, Jesus is challenging his followers to live in a way that reveals what they are ultimately saving up for. He's challenging them 
to live in a way that says, I am living for a greater reward, a greater return. He's saying, if you want to inherit the future promise of my kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth, stop asserting yourself for earthly gain. Stop building your own reputation and instead assert yourself, use your power, use your influence for the good of others. Namely, for the good of God and for the glory of his kingdom. And, you, and I hear you going, you know, Pastor Jameson, but if, but if I'm meek and I just don't assert myself and I don't build my brand, you know, I won't get anywhere and, you know, I won't get the things I need and, and I won't get the things I want and I won't get my moment in the sun. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of a sun, for God will be their light. Why do we need a moment in the sun? The sun's passing away too. <laughs> the sun passes away too. Self-obsessed and the powerful seem to be winning. Do they not? You guys know, you go to work. You work in your various careers. Some of you are in school systems. Some of you are in high-level professions. You know, the self-obsessed and the powerful, they seem to be winning today. But in the end, they lose. They certainly don't win in personal relationships. I mean, just ask yourself the question, would I want a pompous and self-obsessed person to be my friend? No. What about a spouse? Anybody married a pompous and self-obsessed person? She did. She did. She <laughs> she married one. <laughs> you know, power-hungry people who are only concerned about their own glory are often the most isolated and lonely people you'll ever find. And they don't win financially, ultimately, either. One commentator said this, the power-hungry and obsessed think they possess the world, but at the end of the day, the world ends up possessing them. The more possessions you have, the more money you have, the more you grow your brand, the more you hold on to, ultimately the less secure you feel because you're holding so tightly onto all these things. Because you're trying to get your reward now. But we've got it wrong, guys. We're operating out of the wrong paradigm. I mean, so... Does anybody, when you get a new book, right, like a new mystery book or a new novel, does anybody go and read the last chapter first? Anybody? Good. We don't have any crazy people here today. Oh, my wife does. Sorry. Um, oh, Dave, Delena does. Okay. But some people read the last chapter first like a crazy person, right? But when we come to the Bible, we need to read the last chapter first. We need to read that future promise first. We need to know what's coming. We need to operate out of a future promise of this great inheritance. And it's laid hold of through the attitude of meekness. It's the same attitude that Jesus had that purchased that inheritance for us. Listen, operating out of a false paradigm will produce a false reward. If you're operating out of a false paradigm, if you're seeing the world in the wrong way and you're trying to gain your rewards now, those rewards will fade. I mean, and ultimately, what do we need now that Jesus will not provide? Do we need, do we need reputation now? Why? 
As Christians, as those bought by the blood of Christ, we get to share in his glory. Like, there's not, a, there's not a greater brand than the name of the lamb written on my forehead. Do you need vengeance now? Jesus said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Why do I, why do I need to assert myself? Do we need riches now? Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. When neither thief can steal or rust can destroy or moth can eat. Do we need to defend ourselves now? The psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. For whom shall I fear? Why must I defend myself now? Listen, you have nothing to gain now that God will not provide an infinitely greater measure on that day when he builds his kingdom fully. Jesus is saying, clothe yourself in meekness now and I will give you all you could ever desire and more. Infinite treasure, infinite blessings, infinite happiness, infinite favor, and the things that we assert ourselves for now, the trinkets are, are, are paltry and they will fall painfully and staggeringly short of the glory that is to come. And he says, those who choose meekness, we get the earth, all of it. All of it, the whole earth, is the inheritance of God's people. And for us specifically, here, listen, guess what we get? We get the city outside those doors. We get the city outside those doors. We get Owasso. Like, don't you think that on that day, when God makes everything new, he's not going to set those of us who've lived and labored to see the salvation of the city down in this city and say, my son, my daughter, look what my glory did through you. There's gonna be that day. And we get the earth, we get Owasso. And I hear some of you say, well, who wants Owasso? Like, like, it's kind of raggedy. It looks kind of rough right now. But you're not seeing it through Jesus' eyes. You're seeing it as it currently is, but we don't, we don't get it in the state it's in. We get our city transformed by manifold glory into something that our minds cannot currently handle. And so when you walk out those doors today, I want you to just stop and look at our city. Like, really look at it. And try to see it through the eyes of Christ. And I want you to think this thought. I want you to think my attitude, my meekness, my perspective on the world has an eternal consequence today. Today matters. And it might seem like a little thing. Pastor's telling us to live meek lives. Like, listen. Never underestimate the power of little things to transform big things. A little meekness goes a long way in a harsh and cruel world. Your attitude has the possibility to transform the fabric of eternity. Nothing is unimportant, especially what you choose to do with the power given to you. Because hear me, if the picture of Jesus that people see is a self-obsessed, self-asserting, self-promoting, self-avenging person, the city of Owasa will not see Jesus at all. They'll see you. I love you guys. You're great. But you have no hope to offer anyone. Only Jesus does. Our vision is to live and labor to see the day when the city of Owasso displays the kingdom of God made manifest on earth. And I promise you, one day we'll shorten it. It's long. And I can't help but think that some of us are really good at the laboring part. 
We're really good at the doing part. We're really good at setting up chairs and tearing stuff down and putting up instruments. And like, we're, we're really good at that stuff, but some of us are not really good at the living part. Like, we're great at activity, but our character sucks. And Jesus is calling us to something greater. And so what I'd like to do, Dan and Larry, could you guys come up for just a minute and just play a little bit of music? What I'd like to do now, if this, if this sermon has, has moved you in any kind of way, if you're thinking, Lord Jesus, I, I want to be like that, I want to be meek, I find myself always pushing for my own self-validation, and I'm always defending my character, and I'm not channeling my life through your goals and your means and your will, we're just going to take some time and pray. In the book of Acts, we see that prayer is supposed to be a part of the gathered body. And so I'd like you to just take some time and pray right where you are, just for a few minutes. And maybe surrender that part of you that says, I have to be seen. I have to be known. I have to be validated. And instead, ask that God would give you and allow you to lay hold of that future inheritance, that future promise, and to operate out of a new paradigm that says, I have everything I need in Jesus. And so I can live humbly and meek now. So let's take one or two minutes and just where you are, just pray. Maybe you're praying right now and you're thinking, Lord, if I choose meekness, I won't, I won't get the things that I've been working for. Maybe we just lay that down. Maybe we just lay that down and we ask God for his will and to give us what he desires. Lord, we pray for meekness. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see ourselves rightly, Lord. And to see history rightly, Lord. Help us to see where everything's going. Lord, that it is not the self-promoting and self-obsessed, the self-defending, Lord, that inherit the earth, but those who through your grace display the meekness of Jesus who emptied himself and became as a servant to all. Lord, help us to be like you. Lord, our natural bent is not to be like you. And so right now we call upon the Holy Spirit and we ask, transform our lives, Lord. Transform our lives. Lord, that we would be meek, not weak. Lord, that we would be fierce protectors of your glory and of one another. But when it comes to us, Lord, that we would be willing, just like you, to lay ourselves down for the glory of God.
Lord, help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and my friends, I just want to ask you again, what are you saving for? What are you channeling your power towards? And I beg you, by the grace of God, to channel it towards eternal rewards. And if you do, Jesus says you'll be blessed. You'll be happy if you choose meekness. And here's why. Here's the truth. Jesus' stock has never collapsed. Jesus has never bounced a check. No one has a greater interest return than Jesus. And he says when we invest in the inheritance of the earth and when we invest in looking like him, our reward is 100% guaranteed that we will gain the earth. And I want that. And I pray that you want that. Because I want Owasso, and I pray that you want Owasso too. Because when we invest in Jesus, when we choose meekness, we lay hold of that reward today. And so my friends, choose to live a meek life. That you would lay hold of the greatest reward imaginable. Infinite life, infinite pleasure, infinite treasure, infinite glory. And not in the absence of God's presence, but in the full manifest glory of God. We sang a song earlier that says, on that day, my gaze will be transfixed on Jesus' face. Do you want that? I do. Let's choose meekness today.